let's ask God to help us understand his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you that today we can pause and remember our Lord Jesus pouring out his spirit on his people. Uh, We pray uh, that we would understand what this means, more that we would know for ourselves the great work of your spirit in our hearts, a spirit that turns us to you, that moves us to love you, that assures us that we are yours. We pray that through trusting the Lord Jesus, we would know this work for ourselves and be encouraged today to give ourselves to the work of your spirit in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, today, uh, for the first time, our congregation is pausing in our preaching to remember Pentecost, that day you heard about in Acts 2 when the Lord Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on his followers. It's called Pentecost, which is the Greek for 50th, because that was the name of the Jewish festival that happened on the 50th day after the Passover, a harvest festival also called the Feast of Weeks. Now, why are we adding Pentecost uh, to Christmas and Easter as an event we should remember and celebrate each year? Uh, Two reasons. Firstly, we learn from the Old Testament, particularly from Deuteronomy 16, the helpfulness of having times in our yearly calendar to remember and celebrate together the saving work of the Lord, the good of a yearly rhythm of remembrance. Those times, like the Passover or Tabernacles, encouraged Old Testament believers to look back to God's great saving actions in the past and remember his might, his graciousness and his good purpose for his people. As they experienced how good it was to be his people as they celebrated his provision to them in his presence, experienced in that gathering in his presence in his land his faithfulness to his promises, those times then were an encouragement in the present to thankfulness and persevering in faithfulness to the covenant, persevering in loving the Lord and their poorer neighbours. And those times of celebration gave confidence for the future, even in hard times, as they remembered they were in covenant relationship with this almighty, faithful God who was committed to his people and determined to fulfil his promises to them. Times given to remembering and celebrating God's saving actions can lift us out of a preoccupation with our present to see anew God's goodness graciousness and for his faithfulness and they can tune us into his purposes in the world his purposes in keeping this world going remembering God's great saving acts to us in Christ is helpful to us and the second reason to add Pentecost to Christmas and Easter as events that we celebrate is that Pentecost is an important event It's, as you heard Peter say, the fulfilment of prophecy that marks the inauguration of Christ's reign and the beginning of the new covenant community of Jesus. Jesus himself emphasises the importance of the coming of the Spirit in Acts 1. Entrusted with the task of being witnesses of the resurrection to the world, verse 8, 
The apostles were told, verse 4, that they could not commence that work yet, but had to wait until the Spirit came. He ordered them, verse 4, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptised with water, but you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In fact, Jesus reminds them, verse 5, by referring to John the Baptist's water baptism and contrasting it with his spirit baptism, that in a sense, Jesus had not yet completed everything he was prophesied to do until the Spirit came. Every reader of the Gospel reads at the beginning of the Gospel the prophecy of John. I baptise you with water for repentance, said John, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. At the end of the Gospels, this spirit baptism has not yet happened. But Jesus says this is what is about to happen, that this is what happens at Pentecost. Pentecost is the day Jesus starts to baptise his people with the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, Jesus includes those who believe in him into the new covenant community prophesied in Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Isaiah, the community of those forgiven and given new hearts by baptising them with his Spirit. This is a promised and longed-for event an event Peter could speak of later when he was reflecting on the coming of the Spirit to the non-Jew Cornelius in Acts 10, an event that he called the beginning, the beginning of Jesus' mission to make disciples of all nations, the beginning of Jesus building his church. Pentecost marks the beginning in this world of the harvest of the fruit of Jesus' work on the cross. Today, I want to help you see the significance of the coming of the Spirit, the importance of remembering the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost by asking, firstly, what does the coming of the Spirit tell us about Jesus? Then secondly, what does the coming of the Spirit tell us about the believer in Jesus? And thirdly, what does the coming of the Spirit tell us about the gospel of Jesus? And then I want to leave you with three takeaways two commands and an exhortation. Now that means this will be a different kind of talk. It is teaching doctrine and we'll be looking to bring together the teaching of the scriptures from many places. That's why you'll see many verses on the screen and there are many references in the outline. This should not surprise you, for the gift of the Spirit is a rich reality, fundamental to Christian experience and self-understanding, and so a reality that pervades the New Testament. But like any rich reality, like a great work of art, like the Mona Lisa or a great novel, or more significantly, like a good marriage relationship or the birth of your child, like any rich reality, it takes time to unpack its fullness, to grasp the extent of its treasure. And like any talk that ranges over a number of verses, it can be a challenge uh, to understand and be sure whether you agree or not, to know whether you agree or not on first listening. So this talk will do its best work in your life if you give it time. 
Time to go back over the references, look them up, reflect on them, test what is said. Engage and work, not just now, but afterwards as you go through the references in the handout and be enriched and strengthened. And I'm not embarrassed by asking you to work at understanding God's word and especially at understanding the wonder of his gift to us, of his spirit. So what does the coming of the Spirit tell us about the Lord Jesus? Firstly, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost reminds us that Jesus is the exalted King and effective Saviour of his people. Peter concludes his speech on that first Pentecost with uh, these words. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus Whom you crucified. Why does the Spirit come at Pentecost? It's because Jesus, who was crucified, has been raised, and God has made him both Lord and Christ. The coming of the Spirit helps us see Jesus' greatness. He is Lord, He's the one who has an eternal rule, the one to whom all the nations will submit. He is the Christ. He is the one who sits on David's eternal throne, the fulfiller of God's promises, who will save God's people forever. As the exalted Lord, he can give the Holy Spirit to his followers. Now we'll think about what that means for his followers in a minute, but just pause to think what that says of Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone can give the promised life of God. Give us a new spirit, a new life. Now, think, who can give the spirit of God, the life of God, but God? Jesus is the exalted son, now glorified, seen to be one with the Father in the sending of the spirit. But the coming of the spirit doesn't just testify to Jesus' greatness. It testifies to his effectiveness as saviour, his effectiveness in dealing with our sin. The Old Testament is given to teach us about God and what happens in the Old Testament when the unclean comes in contact with the holy? Well, it's death. What would happen if God's Holy Spirit came in contact with your sinful heart, your sinful life? Death. But Jesus' followers receive the Spirit and he is life, not death to us. How can that be? It's because Jesus, by his death, has removed the uncleanness of our sin and made us holy. Uh, You can read about that description of Jesus' death in Hebrews and the author of Hebrews sums up what he's been saying about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in chapter 10. Verse 10, and he says, By that will, that's the will of God that sent the Son into the world, we have been sanctified, that is, made holy, fit for God's presence, 
through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The coming of the Spirit to dwell in Jesus' followers tells us that Jesus really has dealt with our sin, including our present sin. We can be in the presence of the Holy God. The Holy Spirit can dwell in us, not because of anything we have done, but because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. His death where he bore our sin, cleansed us, made us holy. So the coming of the Spirit reminds us that Jesus is both the exalted King and the effective Saviour of his people, the Son of God in power. And the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost and the promise made on that day to all who repent and believe assures us that the living Jesus is our present Saviour. The Apostle Joel wrote that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then the Apostle Peter said to those who were convicted of their sin in crucifying Jesus, which is a pretty serious sin, and wondering what they could do to avoid God's judgment on such rebellion, Peter says to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Lord Joel spoke of who can be called upon for salvation. And Peter continues, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Jesus is the Lord who can be called upon not just by those first hearers, but by those far off in distance and far off in time like us. Why? Because Jesus lives and reigns now. He is the Lord we can call upon here today. He is our present saviour. Everyone who calls on him will be saved. And as the living saviour, he continues to give the spirit to all who repent and believe. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, said Peter to those who repented and trusted in Jesus then. And then he adds that this promise of forgiveness and the spirit is for all for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And it is all who believe. Jesus makes that clear in the Gospels. In John's Gospel where Jesus speaks a lot about the Spirit and his coming, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Jesus gives the spirit to all who believe in him. And so we remember Pentecost because it is a beginning, not a one-off. What Jesus did for his followers on that day, he continues to do for all who trust him. He baptises them with his spirit and includes them amongst his people. Pentecost tells us becoming a believer in Jesus is not just subscribing to a creed or embracing a teaching, though it includes that. And it's not just something that goes on inside our heads. Although there is repentance, there is always a change of mind, a change of a way of thinking about who is Lord, not you, not your idol, but Jesus. He's Lord. 
But Pentecost tells us more. It reminds us that becoming a believer is calling out to a living saviour and receiving from him forgiveness and the gift of his spirit. Becoming a believer is relational and transformative, a new birth to a new life, which is the gift of our saviour, Jesus. If you're listening and wondering about believing in Jesus, well, know from Acts 2 that there is a twofold witness to the truth of who Jesus is here. There is the spirit-empowered witness of the apostles to the resurrection, to what they saw and heard and experienced of the risen Jesus, given once and for all and preserved for us in the New Testament. And you've heard some of that in Peter's speech here. But there is also, based on that testimony, Jesus repeated witness to his exaltation in his giving of the spirit in the present to all who call on him, the present of experience of believers, for the gift of the spirit is real. So there's always an historic witness to Jesus and a present witness to Jesus in the lives of Jesus' people and both are the work of the Holy Spirit, both proclaiming Jesus is Lord. So the coming of the Spirit testifies to who Jesus is and it assures us that he is our present Saviour. And it points us to the future at the heart of which is the revealing of the glory of our Lord Jesus. Uh, Joel chapter 2, 28 that Peter quotes in Acts 2, 17 reads in the Old Testament just and afterwards. But Peter deliberately adapts his quote when he says, and in the last days it shall be. He deliberately adapts this quote from the prophet Joel to tell us that the coming of the Spirit means that we are now living in the last days. In the Old Testament, the last days also involved the gathering of God's scattered people, resurrection and the defeat of death, the defeat and removal of all evil, the coming of the new heaven and earth. The coming of the Spirit at Pentecost in the midst of history as the fruit of Jesus' work on the cross anticipates and guarantees the fulfilment of all that has been promised, all that is spoken of as happening in the last days. When we celebrate Pentecost, Jesus pouring out of the Spirit on his people, we know we are in the last days. And the next thing to happen is the coming of our Lord Jesus in glory, resurrection and judgment. The coming of the Spirit guarantees, makes certain that final day. Celebrating Pentecost, remembering our Lord Jesus pouring out of the Spirit on his first followers, tells us Jesus is the exalted and exalted Lord and effective Saviour of his people that he is the present saviour of all who call on him now and that he will be revealed as the glorious saviour who will bring all that God has promised to fulfilment. Now, isn't that a reason for remembering, for celebrating, for rejoicing in Pentecost? Secondly, what does the coming of the Spirit tell us about believers in Jesus? Firstly, the coming of the Spirit reminds us of who we are individually and collectively. The church is not a human club established by human initiative and run according to human rules. The church, (coughs) God's people, I'll just... 
the church, God's people, are those called by Jesus to himself and brought to belong to Jesus' people, incorporated into his people by the Lord Jesus himself, baptising them with his spirit. In that baptism, the Lord Jesus gives his spirit to dwell in his people and receiving his spirit is the only way you can be one of Jesus' people. You cannot belong to Jesus without his spirit. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 verse 9 says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You don't include yourself in Jesus' church as if you can belong on your terms. You confess Jesus as Lord, call out to Jesus for his forgiveness and the gift of his spirit and he includes you on his terms. The church is his community, governed by his word, the people in whom his spirit dwells. That's why Paul can say to believers collectively in Corinthians, do you not know that you, plural, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. That Christ's spirit dwells in us, plural, is the great reality that should govern all our relating to the community of believers. That community is holy, separated to and precious to God. And so it should always be treated with love and respect. Oh, and because God's, the Lord Jesus gives his spirit to dwell in us, Paul can also say to believers individually in Corinth, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, but you are bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. The Holy Spirit within us is the great reality that should govern all our behaviour. Last night, many of you will have heard Jane recite the poem, If Jesus Came to Your House. Well, the reality is he has Come in his spirit. We should always act as those in the presence of the living, holy God, for we are in the Holy Spirit's presence. If you do not live and think as someone who knows the Holy Spirit lives in them, you are not living and thinking as a believer, with all that means for the life you are to live, the holy life you are called to live. Remembering the coming of the Spirit reminds us of who we are. We are those, believers in Jesus, are those whom the Lord Jesus has forgiven and to whom he has given the Holy Spirit, those in whom God's Spirit dwells. Now, it's sometimes saying if you don't have the Spirit, you're not Christ, troubles some believers. Many have been confused by false teaching that says you have to have spoken in tongues to know you've been baptised by Jesus with his spirit. And that teaching can be especially unsettling where you've grown up in a Christian home and have no dramatic experiences to speak of, that all you have is conviction that Jesus is Lord and a commitment to living a godly life. And you find that you're being told that that is not enough. Now, I'm looking forward to questions about this in the Zoom meeting. 
But Jesus gives his spirit to all who repent and believe in him and things other than tongues, like a conviction that Jesus is Lord and his word is true and a commitment to live a godly life are far better signs of the Spirit's presence and work in our life, that new heart that loves God. Just as the Spirit reminds us of who we are, of our identity, the coming of the Spirit also assures us in the presence of the effectiveness of Jesus' work for us and of our inclusion amongst his people because of what Jesus has done for us. This is a wonderful, a precious work in the lives of God's people. Romans 8, Paul again. You did not receive, he says to believers, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit, crying out to God, Father, assures us we are God's adopted children. More, the Spirit assures us of God's love for us in the giving of his Son by convicting us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is, convicting us of the truth of the gospel. Paul again, Romans 5. Hope, he says, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And how does the Spirit pour God's love into our hearts? It's by convicting us of the truth of the gospel that God has shown, Romans 5, 8, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Assures us of adoption, assures us of God's love and the coming of the Spirit assures us that followers of Jesus are not left alone to follow Jesus in our own strength. It's by the Spirit that we are put to, uh, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's by the Spirit we are to put to death sin, the works of the flesh. The Spirit is the one through whom we can come to live that godly life. Because the spirit, we are told, is the spirit of power and love and self-control. The coming of the spirit reminds us who believers in Jesus are of our identity in Christ. And the spirit assures us in the present that we are Christ's, adopted, loved, empowered to change. And that's an assurance that is ours. Whether we can meet, whether we have the support of other believers or whether we're on our own. It's an assurance we have wherever we are, independent of any particular place. The Spirit is with us and in us. And the Holy Spirit also points us to and makes us yearn for the future God has promised us. Paul speaks of the Spirit, as we heard in Ephesians, as that deposit, as that deposit, which guarantees what is to come. But the Spirit does more. It makes us discontent, makes us long for the fulfilment of our hope in the age to come. Romans 8, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that is, who have the first fruits, which is the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. 
Now, this is such a wonderful work of the Spirit in the hearts of believers. We could so easily just settle into the present, have our vision filled only with this life. But God's Spirit in us will not let the believer settle for that. It stirs us up to groan for the resurrection, to be with Christ and like Christ. What does the coming of the Spirit we remember at Pentecost mean for the believer in Jesus? It reminds us of our identity or teaches us our identity individually and collectively. It assures us of our relationship with God our Father and it points us, directs us, drives us towards our promised future. Such a gift is a great reason to stop and remember the Lord's pouring out of his spirit at Pentecost. Oh, and remembering Pentecost is also a great reason to make sure you know this work of the Spirit in your own life for yourself, that you know that you belong to Jesus, that you know that you've been adopted as God's child, you know his love for you in the gospel and you know that hope which he calls us to. Thirdly, what does the coming of the Spirit mean for the gospel of Jesus? The coming of the Spirit and the preaching of the gospel are inseparable in Acts 2 on that first Pentecost day. They're intentionally inseparable. For the Spirit comes to the apostles and all believers to empower their spirit-given witness to Jesus. That is their proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, the declaration that the crucified Jesus is Lord, who alone can forgive and save. The empowerment of witness by the Spirit reminds us that the Christian gospel is God's gospel, the message of the creator for all people, and that the preaching of the gospel is God's will. It spreads central to God's purpose in the continuation of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He will have disciples of all nations and he will have them through the preaching of his gospel that will bring them to repentance and faith in him. Acts, you know, tells us that it's the spirit who sustains the bold preaching of the gospel under trial just as Jesus promised. In answer to their prayers, they're filled with the spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness just as Jesus promised. And Acts tells us it's actually the Spirit who directs the spread of the gospel. One example, Acts 13, it's the Spirit who says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And what we see in Acts is that to be Spirit-filled is to speak of Jesus. Remembering that the coming of the Spirit tells us that the gospel is God's gospel and its spread is God's project to save his people assures us in the present that we can rely on his help and see his power at work where we give ourselves to that work. You see, sharing the gospel is not a matter of talking people into believing but of Christ through his gospel, his spirit-empowered gospel, which we are to share faithfully, opening blind eyes and giving life to the dead. And remembering that the spread of the gospel is God's will to save his people assures us that our labour in witnessing to Jesus is not in vain and points us to that day when we will see the climax of God's work in people from every nation and tongue gathered round the throne of God rejoicing in him. 
Remembering Pentecost is rich, isn't it? Remembering that the Father has given the Holy Spirit to his Son to pour out on all who believe in him helps us see the greatness of the Lord Jesus, the wonder of being a believer in Jesus, the centrality of preaching the gospel, of making disciples for God's plan for the world and so its centrality for the life of his people. There's a lot to reflect upon there, as I said at the beginning. But let me leave you with two commands and one word of exhortation. The believer's reality is to have the Spirit. And so these commands about the Spirit are central to how we live as believers in Jesus, how we express our reality as those who have been given a new life and a new heart by our Lord Jesus express the reality that we have received the spirit of the Son from the Son. These commands reflect the emphasis of the New Testament too, where we're not commanded to speak in tongues and prophesy. What we are commanded to do is to live godly lives. This is how God expects this presence of his spirit in us to be honoured. And the first command is Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's an allusion to Isaiah 63 where Isaiah speaks of Israel in the wilderness. They rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. The people in the wilderness rebelled by grumbling, faithless disobedience, rejecting the authority of God's word over their lives, turning to idols. Paul, in calling on us not to grieve the Spirit, is calling on us not to rebel by ignoring God's call to live the transformed life Paul outlines in Ephesians chapters 4 to 6. Look at some of the things close by that he highlights. Say how we speak, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If we have the Spirit... We shouldn't talk to others, especially others close to us, in ways that tear them down, that hurt and demean. We should speak to build up. Or verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. We're not to nurse anger, act unkindly. In fact, our lives are to be the very opposite. We should be kind to one another, verse 32, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Again, there's a lot there. But if we're to believers, be believers, we are not to tolerate in our lives what the Spirit finds intolerable. Verse 30 is a serious warning. The way we speak, the way we deal with our anger, the way we treat others are to witness to the presence of the Spirit in our life by the kindness, the gentleness, the graciousness, the love that is seen. And then there is this second command, Galatians 5.22. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Believers in Jesus must keep in step with the Spirit, that is, march to the beat of the Spirit's drum as we follow the direction the Spirit gives. That is, in time with the Spirit, we are to move in the direction of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. To keep in step with the Spirit 
is to choose love and joy over selfishness and a grumpy self-pity, especially at this time. To keep in step with the Spirit is to want to be so gentle and self-controlled. At least fruit cannot be something you admire in others, while you, for example, keep on being abrupt or rude or self-indulgent and impulsive because it works for you and you excuse it saying, oh, that's just the way I am, or I've got to be cut a bit of slack because I'm under pressure. That's rubbish. To have the Spirit is to be transformed by the Spirit to live like Jesus, to start to bear the family likeness in our character. And this is not something we can be passive in, but have to actively pursue because of the Spirit's work in us. These commands tell us the sign of the Spirit in our lives is the serious pursuit of Christ-likeness by each day saying no to sin, And yes, to give yourself to the Spirit's work in changing you. Two commands and finally an exhortation. Pentecost reminds us that the gospel is God's gospel, that he wants it to go to all nations and he has promised the powerful help of his Spirit to share it. So we ought to confidently share the gospel that Jesus is Lord. Sometimes it seems we believers think Jesus has become less Lord because less people around us seem to pay attention to him. That is not true. Pentecost tells us Jesus is the saving Lord of all, that this has been confirmed by God giving him the spirit to pour out on his people, and this has been experienced in our lives by the reception of the spirit. Every believer in Jesus has the spirit-given assurance of the truth of the gospel, so changed by the spirit to love others, Our love should be like Jesus' love that sought the lost, that sought us. Trust in God's provision, his gift to us of the spirit of love and power and self-control, we should share God's gospel with confidence. Just as the spirit-filled are changed to live like Jesus, that life of trusting love of the Father that shows itself in obedience to the Father's will. So Pentecost reminds us that the spirit-filled speak of Jesus. So today, remember Pentecost. Remember the exalted Christ has poured out his spirit on his people that you, believer, have been given God's spirit by your Lord Jesus. And as you remember and rejoice in that great assuring reality, give yourself to the spirit's work in you and give yourself to the spirit's mission in the world to the glory of the one the Spirit comes to glorify, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that we would not live as poverty-stricken Christians, but we pray that we would know how wealthy you have made us in giving the Spirit to the Lord Jesus to give to us. We thank you for that Spirit. We thank you for the assurance we are your children. We thank you for the conviction of your love. We thank you for being changed to want to do your will and the Spirit's help to change us to do that will. And we thank you that the Spirit points us to that day when we will be like Jesus, when we will rise with him to be with him forever. Our Father, we pray that we would know more and more of the work of your Spirit in us And that knowing that work, we would more and more speak of our Lord Jesus 
and bring him honour and glory in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.